part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. If you are brand new to our church, if you're just visiting, if you've come in, uh, I want to give the same kind of little asterisk that I've given before uh, those last couple of weeks. Uh, we are usually very much pretty strict expository preachers. We go through books of the Bible and kind of verse by verse. Uh, the elders uh, began to talk uh, maybe as much as a year, year and a half ago, I think, that we began to talk about this foundation series of just the need that's there in our modern uh, culture that we have, even for the Christians to be reassured and to be reinformed of just foundational things the, of the faith that, uh, you know, that sometimes we don't know how to carry on conversation, especially uh, an evangelist or if you want to say just a, a, a witnessing conversation with somebody if they have an opposing view to us uh, about our beliefs. And so one of the things that we want to do is to give you the foundations of our faith. The first three weeks, we've been talking about the exclusivity of Christ. Now, that can sound really theological if you want it to, but basically it is when Christ made the proclamation in John 14, 6, that he was the one way to the Father. That we, you know, he said there's not a lot of different ways. There's not just a few good ways. He said, I'm the only way. And he makes this proclamation. And so at that point, we have, if we're going to be followers of Christ, we have to understand, okay, why did, why did he say that? Can we wholeheartedly believe this? And what do we say to a Muslim friend or a neighbor who happens to be Hindu or somebody who comes from a different uh, faith walk? How do we talk in a respectful, loving way and still at the same time fulfill this commandment that God has placed upon us, this call, that as we are going, make disciples to very much stand for the gospel and those things that we believe? So that's kind of our series, and so it's going to be a little bit unatypical in that we're going to look at some scripture, and then there will be more of a, I don't want to say a, a logical kind of, or philosophical look at that, um, because we can get really dangerous with that, and uh, we want to always tie ourselves to the word and the truth, and yet these are discussions that we have to bring in the logical, we have to bring in these other things. For example, the morning, this is a question that we get answered, and we're going to do this this morning. From a biblical perspective, I concede from the very beginning, I am coming from, not as a, a humanist, I am not coming as a philosopher, I'm coming as a Christian. Okay? You're going to get the Christian view of how we would answer this question. But we will bring in kind of this uh, philosophical pondering because it's necessary. Remember last week, I was so disappointed that I, I didn't, I don't think I got my point across. We were outside and it's hard to preach outside when everything was so beautiful. Uh, and your attention span when we're outside is about like this, you know, squirrel. And I mean, all of a sudden you're all over the place. But do you remember this map from last week? This map. We're having problems. Okay. Okay. We're, we're trying to get there. Uh, do you remember the, the map that I gave? It was called a spaghetti. There we go. Remember the spaghetti plot that we put up there last week? Now, last week, we were still kind of, you know, Dorian was still kind of out there. We didn't know. Uh, this was, was from Thursday, like a week and a half ago. And the plots at the time were saying, okay, man, it's going to come into Florida. It's going to rush through Florida. In fact, almost every one of those, except for that one wild hair over there. You know, there's always one in every family. 
And there's that one that's just going to go, no, we're just going to go right in there. Well, believe it or not, if we really kind of followed what actually happened with Dorian, who was the most right out of kind of those? You know, we would say, well, maybe that one that's really, really far over, not the blue one that's way off, but the other. But, you know, in one way, the blue one, it did kind of go up the coastline. It didn't come into Florida all that much. And uh, out of all those different ones, remember that we said last week that all of these are computer models that take in a data. They don't take in a motion. None of those motion, uh, none of those computers said, you know, I have family in Florida and I do not want the tornado or the hurricane to come there. And so I'm going to plot mine way out here so that it avoids Florida. No, it took data. It interpreted that data and it got a plot. The reason why we have so many plots, because they took some took this data, some took that data. They used different models, different algorithms and different things like that. And they came up with different results. If you understand this, then you're going to understand the answer to why do we have so many different religions? Because there is a logical part of this. There is an emotional part of it. But in this, when we're just looking at pure logic, and yet when they took that data, because they took different sources of data, and they weighted that data differently, some going, okay, here's the historical record. Oh, we're not going to take history. We're going to take this model. And it came with different points. Does that make sense? How you can take data, truth, real data, not made up stuff, and you can come to different logical ends. That's what that spaghetti plot is. And in one way, when we look at the world religion, they've done somewhat the same thing. They've taken different data and they've interpreted it differently. And so they come out with different conclusions. And that's why when you look around the world, you're going to see a lot of people that said, you know, I am uh, Muslim. I am Christian. I am Jewish. And they took data, what is truth to them. They took what they have observed in this world and they kind of filtered it through the computer of their mind, the emotion of their heart, and they have this outcome as a result. This morning, that's what we're going to focus on. If you understand the logic behind that spaghetti plot, then you're going to understand the logic of how people could look at this world and kind of look at the same things, the same exposure that you might have, and come up with different considerations and with different interpretations of it. Now let's go back to the Bible. Look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 18. Paul begins to make this argument. We saw a couple of weeks ago that it's an argument that, uh, that none of us can say, you know, God, I just didn't know. Paul's basically saying, no, because what I've revealed in nature, you should know because of the order of what you see, the creation that's available before you. You should know that there's something beyond yourself that created this. Listen to how God inspired Paul to write this. Starting with verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteous suppress, unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it. Verse 19, he says, look, you look out, you're going to see, you may not understand everything that there is about God, but you're going to understand, man, there's somebody mightier than me. There's somebody bigger than me. Verse 20. 
For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Do you understand that? What Paul's saying, kind of the logic behind it? See, look, when you look out there, there's something that just compels us because we do have souls. Okay, this is how we're different in our creation, remember? We said, as much as we love dogs and cats, they don't have souls. Okay, they don't have a spirit. Okay, God made you unique. You're made in the image of God. And in this image of God that we look back all the way back in Genesis, one of the things that he made you like himself is that you have a spirit. And the spirit is really who you are. It's your personality. It's the way you think and all these different things. And there's something within our spirit as we would look out, especially if we were going to go, like even to the Grand Canyon today, and go, wow. Or if we were to go up to Stone Mountain, or if we were to go to this place, or, or down to Fort Yargo, and we were seeing you know, the beauty of some of these places, just in nature. We say, you know, this is something beyond what man can just do. This didn't just get here by itself. And so the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of God, this is really God's word. It's not just Paul's opinion, but he uses Paul's personality to inspire him. And he writes down, look, nobody can walk this earth and walk away thinking, you know, this just kind of came about. That that there's something within the spirit that God has given us that compels us to think that there is a creator out there. Now, we may not know a lot about this creator just from nature except that he's really kind of artistic. He's powerful. And then he really does have everything kind of flowing together. I mean, have you really considered the seasonal you know, cycle? Uh, I mean, right now it should be more like 80 degrees, but it's 95 degrees because we're in the south and God just decided for summer to last a bit longer. But it will get cooler. It eventually is going to get a little bit cooler. And then it's going to get cold. And then it's going to warm up in spring, and then it's going to get hot, and and that cycle repeats itself over and over again. Well, you say, well, Bobby, that's just what nature does. Well, who kind of formed that nature? Were we just really, really lucky that the earth just happened to be this far away from the sun so that we can breathe? And, you know, guys, it really gets astronomical that all these things could just happen. So the Apostle Paul was going long before there were meteorologists, long before there was scientific data that said this or that. Paul's saying, look, you go out in creation and it's going to tell your spirit that there's a God out there who created all this. And with this reality, get this, get this, comes responsibility. Verse 18, he says, the wrath of God. He said, these people that have turned away from this, that they've kind of started making their own gods. He said there's a judgment to come. And I don't think that Paul is trying to be mean-spirited. I don't think he's trying to take the Bible and beat somebody over the head with it. I think what he's saying is the reality, hey, when God shows you the reality that there is a God and he's worthy to be praised and honored, when we reject that and we make a God of ourselves, we make a God of our own, he says this does bring the judgment of God, the wrath of God. Uh-oh. Paul's not trying to infuriate. He's just trying to be very, very clear. 
that we stand accused because this has been plainly shown. That we stand accused because it would be a rejection of truth. That we stand accused if we reject and we make gods of our own. Do you understand that? Do you got that as a foundation? Well, this passage is one of the main reasons why Christians can't um, biblically kind of go along with the thought in a pluralistic world that says, you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you are, remember two weeks ago, sincere. And we looked at that whole argument, okay, can you be sincerely wrong? Yes, you can. You can be really sincere, but you can still be sincerely wrong. And that's why from a Christian, a biblical viewpoint, we can't just kind of go in there and say, okay, I don't want to hurt, I don't want to offend, you know, I'm not trying to cause trouble, but, you know, so I'm just going to concede that maybe all these different religions ultimately end up in the same place. No. So how do we know which one? Uh, Let me go back to our spaghetti plot. Ultimately, when Dorian was... When it was all said and done, how many paths did Dorian take? One. And it may not have been a single one of these models. Maybe every one of these models were off. But ultimately, when it all was said and done, there was really one path, one truth, right? Well, guys, one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to understand that there was one way. And he makes it very clear. He doesn't make it a mystery. He doesn't make it really hard to conceive. In fact, he said, come in childlike faith. He said, look, man, you don't have to have, you know, doctor by your name. You don't have to have all these letters and this, that, and the other. You don't have to have years of education. You certainly don't have to have a theological degree. He says, no, as a child, you believe what you see and the experience of what God has exposed you to, especially in reflected of his word. He said, you come in childlike faith. How many of you today can clearly, succinctly, and um, convincingly explain the Trinity? Come on, bros. You're an elder. Come on, Radley. You've been, you've been to school. Anybody just want to take on? Seth, you're one of the smartest guys I know. Surely, come on. There's going to be things that are overhead. Just because we know God doesn't mean that we're going to know everything about God. Some of these things are going to be bigger that we just accept by faith. And we trust in what we do know to take us to the places that we can't understand in fullness. I promise you guys, I have wondered about the Trinity. Let me me correct this. I have not wondered about the Trinity. I firmly believe in the Trinity. But I could not explain it. I, I cannot put it in a box. What does it require? faith of what I do know. How do we know which one of these paths of all these world religions, how do we know which one is right? Well, there's a really simplistic answer. It's not one that I like because it fits on a bumper sticker. The Bible says that I believe it and that settles it. And you know how I feel about simplistic you know, analogies like that or, or, or thoughts. It's not that if the Bible says that I do believe it and that is going to settle it for me, but this isn't a convincing argument to my Muslim friend or my Hindu neighbor, okay, guys? And this is where we can't be simplistic in the way that we would go out and say, well, okay, then you're just wrong. Now, can, can we have enough integrity of what we do believe, 
enough understanding, even in this childlike faith, that when our Hindu brother, when our co-worker who happens to be Muslim comes in and we're sitting at the the lunch table, that we could carry on a respectful, loving conversation. And even if we ended up agreeing to disagree, that at least we can handle what we believe. See, ultimately, here's the thing, guys. How do we know the right path? Well, ultimately, the answer is faith. There is not a conclusive way that I can prove to you Christianity. How many of you believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the the Son of God sent by God the Father to redeem lost mankind by living a perfect life, dying on a cross, laying in a grave for three days, and he rose again on the third day? How many of you believe that with all your heart? How many of you were there and you saw it? No, you exercise faith. I'm not trying to be silly. I'm just saying we take faith because we're there. How many of y'all were there when George Washington was, was the first president of the United States? <laughs> no. How many of you believe that he was the first president of the United States? Because history tells us that, and we have records, and so we believe it, we weren't there, and so we, we kind of make the stretch of what we know to be fact, and what we believe to be fact, and then we kind of complete it in our minds and our hearts, and say, okay, I believe this, and I actually have faith in it. And that's where we get all these different religions, is that people are taking data from all kinds of walks of life, they're kind of you know, answering three questions that we're about to get to, and their conclusion to those three questions, they begin to put faith in the answers that they have come up with. So here it is. But, but, but please understand, the Christian life, would you say, is based on faith? Is the Muslim uh, person basing his life on faith? Yes. Is, is your Hindu friend at work, is he basing his life on faith? Yeah. You don't have to agree with what he's putting his faith in, but believe me, as they're, as they're ascribing their walk, their philosophy of life, of how they're going to live it, they're doing it because they believe that these tenets that they believe are true. Here's the bottom line, guys. Every one of you, every one of you, myself, everybody in the world, every human being in mankind will follow something that they believe by faith. Here's the big one, okay? Really put this through your mind. Does an atheist have faith? Yes. Well, no, he doesn't, you don't understand. He doesn't believe in God. It takes a lot of faith not to believe in God. I mean, that's what Paul would say in, in, in Romans. That's what he's saying is, look, there's evidence out there. Where did this order come from? Where did all these things come from? It takes a lot of faith. Some would say it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. I mean, that's kind of where Josh McDowell, if that name is familiar, Lee Strobel, some of the apologists of our day, they were atheists, they, they hated Christianity, and they made it their life's task to disprove. And as they began to explore that, in order to disprove Christianity, one from a scientific level, uh, level the other one, because he was a news reporter from an investigative level, both of them concluded, as they looked at the data before them, there is no way that I cannot believe in this Christ. It would take more faith not to believe than to believe. Why all the religions? Because since the recording of mankind's history, as far as back as we can find anything that's recorded, mankind has asked three questions. 
in some form of fashion. Okay, I'm not saying it's these, these exact three questions verbatim, but these three questions. Number one, mankind has asked, because he has a spirit, because he has a soul, is there a God? Would you agree with that? That mankind has always pondered, is there a God? As he looks out and he begins to see these things, is there a God out there? Now, he may use different ones. Uh, maybe that question is going to come up as, how did we get here? How did mankind get on the earth? How did this world even come about? So there's different things. Uh, you might ask it from uh, a vantage point of who's in control. But all of those circle around the one main thought, is there a God? Second question, is there an afterlife? Every organized people group, I won't say just religion, every organized people group, much broader than just religious, most, everybody in the world, every people group that we've ever found, believe in some form of an eternity, of an afterlife. Very few people have ever just said, you know, when we die, guess what happens? We die. And we just kind of stop existing. Very few people and people groups have ever come to that conclusion. And really, in religious life, uh, there's really none that I know, especially of the major religions, that say, okay, we just kind of, after death, we just die. So, is there a God? Is there an afterlife? Are you with me so far that those are two valid questions of humanity? Now, let's marry those two. If there is a God and there is an afterlife, what do I do to make sure that I'm part of that afterlife? If there is a God... And he's kind of holding the gate. You know, he's kind of there at the door to make sure that there really is an afterlife. And he's the one. It's his, it's his truth and his tenets about how you get in. Then, then how do I do that? And, and another way of asking this, how do I appease what this God wants? How do I qualify for this heaven or this afterlife? Do you follow the logic of that? You're, you're smart people, and I'm always going to preach to you as very intelligent, smart people. But do you follow that in one way that's very simplistic? Is there a God? Yes or no? Is there an afterlife? Yes or no? If there is a God and there is an afterlife, how do we appease this God? How do we make ourselves right with this God so that we can be a part of this afterlife? Now it gets kind of complex. First two are yes, no's. This other one is, well, man, there could be a lot of different ways. And most of those ways, in fact, all those ways except for Christianity, all are some version of you trying to perform for this God. Whether it is a, a Islamic faith, whether it is Hindu faith, with their, uh, I read this week that they have as many as 30 million gods. I told you that they had a lot. I didn't know that they had 30 million. I don't know that I can count to 30 million. But that they have all these different gods. If you go to Buddhist, you go to this. Everybody's going to have a version of what they think the afterlife is. Eventually, in some of the Eastern mysticism, uh, their version of the afterlife is that simply we don't exist anymore, that we get to this place of nirvana, and we simply, you know, that was the achievement. You finally can say, I just died, and that's the end. That will cheer you up in the morning, won't you? That's a good thought to eat with your Cheerios in the morning. That what we're trying to achieve is a nothingness? 
But every other world religion says, okay, there is this afterlife and, and there's this God that kind of controls, you know, who gets in and who doesn't get in. The universalists say, well, everybody gets in. There's a lot of different versions. Thus, the different spaghetti points on the plot. This is how we get different religions. That doesn't mean that they're all the same. This is where the Bible and Christianity really just stand by itself. But again, I would say that of the Muslims, that the Muslims stand by themselves as they would define their answers. They would say, is there a God? Yes, there's a God. His name is Allah. And they say, okay, is there an afterlife? Yeah, there's an afterlife. How do you get there? And you would look at the five tenets, pillars of Islam, and they say, okay, you follow these five things, you pray five times a day, you do all these things, and you will be able to get to this heaven. But because it's on your shoulders, you don't know if you've ever done quite enough. The Bible answers this a little bit differently. And it especially answers it differently from any other major world religion. Because we are the only world religion that says the answer to that first one is yes, there is one God of three persons. That throws a whole bunch of people off. That there's the Trinity. Okay, is there an afterlife? Yes. He describes a heaven, an afterlife. But he also describes a hell. Uh, an afterlife with God or an afterlife separated from God. And then it clearly explains in the Bible how we, if we want to go to heaven, if we want to be with God, what God requires. Let me take you through scripture. Is there a God? Good place to start, Genesis 1.1. Very first verse of the entirety of God's word. Says what? So if you're on a if you're on a search and you're just going okay, I'm looking at all the world of religions. I kind of want to know what everybody thinks about different things. And as you as Christians, well, what do you believe? The very first book of our sacred writings, what we believe the Bible is the Bible. It tells, okay, is there a God? It answers that very first question. Is there a God? Yeah, there's actually a God. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. He's the creator. He did all of this creation. In the New Testament, we see John say this. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. He brings Christ into this picture. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. Who's the Word? What is his reference? Who is his reference to? Jesus, okay, he says, in the beginning was Christ. And he calls him the Word, the Logos there, because he wants to, us to understand something. He's going to link some ideas together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So from the very beginning, he's saying, okay, we're making a proclama- proclamation. This Jesus, we believe that he really was deity. Not just a man. We say that he's a man, but we're... we're coming with this thought that he is also equal with God. He is God. He was with God in the beginning and all things were made through him and without him not anything made that was made. In other words, he said, okay, Christ is there. He's always been there. We, we saw him come to earth 2,000 years ago, but he's always existed. The, the Holy Spirit has always existed. God has always existed. And, and yet we, we saw his presence here. And, and here's nothing was made that wasn't made by Jesus Christ. So it answers this question. Do Christians believe that there's a God? Yes. 
And it defines. And I could give you verse after verse. Like I said, I could go for five or six hours. If you just want to go grab a cookie, we'll sit in here. But, uh, okay, is there an afterlife? Ecclesiastes 3.11. This is one that I gave at the picnic last week. He that is God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Remember, we have a spirit. We have a soul. And we understand that there's something beyond us so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. He says, okay, we, we may not understand everything, but God has set eternity in our heart. And that's why even those that would ascribe to Christianity, those who would not ascribe to Christianity, they, we have this feeling that there's something that goes on after we die. There is another, there's an afterlife. The Bible goes on to define it really kind of very uh, much in particular as we get to the end of the Bible in Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 and 4. This was revealed to to John. And I heard a loud voice from from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So what does this heaven look like? What does this... Uh, afterlife look like? Well, for those who are believers, it's actually that there's a communion that's going on with God. He's not just kind of up there. This isn't Greek mythology that there's kind of a place for humans in the afterlife and a place for gods in the afterlife. What do Christians believe? What does the Bible tell us about what we believe? Because God has said that this afterlife is an afterlife where we can be with God. And the next verse, it begins to describe what this kind of life, kind of what it's going to look like or feel like. Look at the next verse, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Describes that heaven, this eternity with God, he's going to be with us. And then it describes kind of what kind of life. No more hurting, no more pain. Amen? No more goodbyes. This is a good place. But what about this last one? Okay, there is a God. There is an afterlife. The Christians call that heaven, and they equally call that hell. You know, if if we don't, you know, measure up to God if we don't please God, if we don't appease Him in some way, you're not going to be with God and you're not going to be Revelation 21. You can look a couple of verses before and see what happens to those people that are going to be separated from God. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to be cute and funny. I'm just saying God shows us at the end there is a separation. Those that are going to be with God forevermore, those are going to be separated from God forevermore. So the, the question is, how do we appease this God? If you're sitting here this morning and saying, I want to make sure that if there is a God and there really is this heaven, that I'm on his good side. How many of you would agree that that's a valid question? And how does Christianity answer that? I could give you verse after verse after verse. Let me just give you two, or two, two passages. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. This is what we deserve. The wages is something you deserve, what you've earned. What we've earned because of our rebellion, because of our sin, is death. Physical, emotional, spiritual death. This is what we deserve. But he doesn't stop there. 
But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He said, you, you want to go to this heaven? You want to experience what it says in Revelation 21? He said, here's how you do it. You make sure that you're in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Let me give you another passage. Here's how John said it. First John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Who does not have the Son of God, what does it say? Does not have life. God's, God's playing no tricks. He's going, okay, there is a heaven, there, or there is an afterlife, and it's actually there's two different parts of the afterlife. One is going to be with me, one's going to be separated from me. How do I appease you? How do I get, make sure that I'm, I'm on the right side of you? I get right with you, God? He says there's only one way. It's through my son, Jesus Christ. And those who have him and have belief of what he's done, he said you're going to have life, eternal life. Those, they're, they're not going to have this life with God. Now, folks, we live in a world where people say, oh, yeah, I like this whole heaven thing. I'm just not so sure about this hell thing. Well, we have to reject what Jesus taught. We have to reject what the prophets taught. And we have to uh, reject what the apostles taught if we throw hell out of the picture. We we have to do some uh, pretty strong editing of some cut and paste with the word of God if we want to eliminate this. I know emotionally, I mean, do you want even your worst enemy to go to hell? I mean, there may be a part of us, not trying to be silly, there may be a part of us going, well, I've got a few. But if we really understood, truly understood and grasped the fierceness of hell, the permanence of hell, we would not wish it upon our worst enemy. We really wouldn't. Emotionally, we can say, well, I wish that person would get it. But it's because we don't know the realities of hell. This is a loving God. He tells you the truth because he loves you. He doesn't wait to the last minute and you're standing in judgment and say, by the way, here's how everything worked. And you missed your opportunity. He tells us right up front. I've made my presence known in this world. You can't look at this world and not know that there's a creator. I've given you evidence, and remember Ecclesiastes 3.11? I've put in your heart, I've set in your heart, in your mind, that there's an eternity, there's something that happens after this. And I've told you very clearly the way that you get there. And it's not just your good efforts. In fact, you can never be good enough. It's all in what my son did. And that's why I sent him. This is the message of the gospel, folks. Ultimately, every living human being will make a choice of faith, make a choice, come to a conclusion of how they're going to live their life. Every one of us will. We will put our faith in something. The atheist will put his faith that really what you see is what you get, and when you die, you die. And he puts his faith in that. Okay? I mean, I can respect that, that... Somebody's going to live their life that way. They're just respecting what they believe. So how do you make the choice? We could go along and say, okay, now how, how do we know that we've put our faith in the right place? I think that's a very legitimate question. 
we could do it by um, size. So, okay, uh, I feel comfortable in numbers. You know, if I'm going to be wrong, I'm gonna, a lot of people are going to be with me, though, at least. So if we just look at the world numbers, and I know you can't see this. Maybe you can see the colors there. Red is Christians. Uh, Christianity is still the largest religion, if you want to say, in the world. Uh, 2.3 billion people affirm in some way to be Christians. The next closest behind that is Islamic faith, uh, Muslims, 1.8 billion. After that, Hindus, 1.1 billion. So if we just say, okay, we're going to let, you know, we're going to go with the majority. The majority has to be right. Well, actually, Christianity looks pretty good there. There's more Christians, per se, if we want to look at that. And this is from a, a 2015 Pew Research Report. There's no conclusive study that has ever asked every person on earth what they believe. But, but this is reflective of that. Okay? But what if you said, you know, I've never been one just to go with the crowd. But, you know, right now, man, there's a lot of popularity. The, the hot one right now. What do you think would be the hottest religions? If you want to say the fastest growing uh, religious practice on earth right now. Muslim. By far. By far. Muslim belief. Uh, 70% growth they anticipate in the next 15 years. Christianity, 34% growth. Hindu, 27% growth. Now, in this growth, you say, well, I thought Christianity was kind of on the decline. No, this is taking in birth rates. This is taking on a lot of different things like that. But basically, if you just wanted to go with what is the hot kind of religion of the world right now, it's the green one right there, Muslims, far outgrowing, double anybody else. It's the fastest growing religion that's out there. Is that a valid way to determine how you're going to live your life? Probably not. Well, you know, Pastor, I think just which one has been around the longest? And I just, you know, I kind of want to look at, you know, the one that's the state and true, and because I know things can change, so which one's been there the longest? Well, Hindus actually say that they can trace their, their belief back uh, past 5,000 years, maybe as much as 9,000 years. This is where it gets a little tricky because we don't have recorded history. Mankind's not writing down notes that we can really trace back, you know, past a certain point. But if you just wanted to kind of go with the, the, the longest one by claim, it would be the Hindus. Second in that line is Judaism. Third in that line is Islam. Islam's a relatively new, historically speaking, 1,500 years old. Where is Christianity in all this? Somebody say it with confidence and boldness. Hmm? Okay, that's one correct answer. Christianity in its truest form is 2,000 years. That's when Christ came. But if we really, if we wanted to look at this chart and say, okay, well, you know, really as Christians, we can claim that it's been around for more than 2,000 years. Where would we go on this? Judaism. Because we don't say that the Old Testament, you know, that Christianity started in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, we, we link our heritage back to the, that we're a part of this called out people. Christ the Messiah doesn't come to 2,000 years ago, but we are part of this heritage of the Jewish people. So Judaism, that traces it back to 5,000 years, that's really where the Christians can say that their roots come from. We just believe that there was a change 2,000 years ago that God actually fulfilled the prophecy that he was going to send a Messiah, and his name was Christ. Here's the bottom line. We're about to close, guys. In your determination, you could be very methodical. You could go and use all this different data, and you could plot the course of your life and your faith. You could be very emotional. 
And you say, well, I'm just going to go with the one that feels right. There are so many ways that you can decide how you're going to live your life and what you're going to follow. But I promise you, it's all going to come down to this one thing. Listen real close. Faith. Ultimately, every one of us, whether you're a Christian, Hindu, Muslim, Jewish, every human, atheist, non-believer in anything, every single person will answer these three questions. Do you believe that there's a God? Do you believe that there's life after this life? And if so, how do you get into this afterlife? Do you have to appease a God? Do you have to do really good works? Do you have to be just really good? Do you have to be born on a Monday and die on a Saturday? I mean, there's all kinds of different things. But ultimately, once you determine what that's going to be for your life, that's where you're going to go out and put your faith. And if you believe in good works, and that's how, you know, that God's looking down and he's going, okay, you do enough good works and you'll get into my heaven. Guess what you're going to, in faith, in faith, you're going to do in your life? Man, you're going to be doing good works. Why is the Muslim guy, our gal, doing what they do that you might disagree with because they put their faith in to appease Allah. This is what you do. Maybe even as extreme as flying a plane into to, to towers. Not trying to be political here. I'm not, do you see the logic in that? Your faith is going to take you somewhere. Ultimately, Here's where I've placed my faith. I can't say this for you. I can't even see this, say this for my, my wife of 35 years. We're about to celebrate 35 years. I can't even say, I mean, I, I know her heart, but I can't even say this for her because she's going to have to determine her own faith. It is that individualistic. I know that I know that I know that I know that there's a God. And then His grace and mercy... He created us in perfection, and we rebelled. And I'm part of that rebellion. I've been born with that rebellious nature. But because this God loved us so much and he wanted to commune with us, he gave us opportunity to, to, to be free of that sin by sending a Savior. And his name was Jesus Christ, and he came 2,000 years ago, and he was God's own son. And I've put all my faith and all my hope in that biblical record, in, in that truth to me. Was I there to see it? No. The best, the closest I can get is right here in the revelation of the scriptures. But by faith, that's going to determine now how I live. On those days when I really mess up, do I kind of feel like, oh man, God's not pleased with me, I better do some good things? Yeah. I do that, but that's not gospel. I'm saved because of what Christ has done. Not with, but, you know, those other thoughts come in there. Does that make sense? And every one of you will decide your answer to those three things. And my prayer is that you can say, I know that I know that I know that I know. And I put all my faith in, in, in what God has told me about himself in the word. Let me end with this verse. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. This kind of sums up my belief. I hope that it would... Kind of sum up your belief this morning. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, and oh, was I far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself was our peace. This is the Christian faith. It's one of many faiths. But this is biblical teaching on the Christian faith, that all of our hope is in Christ Jesus. We're going to pray, and then I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up and lead us. And we've been singing a song, uh, Is He Worthy? Um, and, and I love this song because it's based on biblical fact, but it also gives us a, a chance to do something that we don't do a lot of. They used to do in, in historic Christianity a lot through the creeds and through the you know, different teachings. Um, and that is that you would ask a question, and then you would give an answer. And so we sing this song, and the song is asking questions. Okay, is he worthy? Is, is this happening? Are we glad about this? Are we sad about this? And we give this response. And it, it uses this old, very Hebraic, just very uh, Jewish way of question and answer so that we can affirm our faith. It's a great way to learn, and it's a great way to actually affirm our faith. And I'm glad that the creeds and some of those things are actually coming back into biblical life. Because I think that in this day and time when there's so many different philosophies that we come back to just solid truth. And, and parents, I, if you want, I can give you some suggestions of books of how to teach your uh, kids questioning and biblical answers and books and the creeds that are out there because we just want to ground them in this truth. Believe me, if they want to leave one day, they'll leave. But, but it's our job to ground them in the truth that we believe. So let's pray. Praise team, you come. And we're going to sing this song as an affirmation of our faith as we close this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you so much. Father, we thank you for Christ Jesus. Father, we realize that in one way we have barely even tipped the scales of, uh, of, of understanding these complex questions. And yet, Father, I pray that uh, by your spirit that you will just bring a peace to us that we would realize today that, Father, every one of us will live out our lives based on what we have put faith in. If it works, then we're going to work real hard. If it's just enjoying ourselves, Father, then we're going to enjoy ourselves to the limit. But, Father, if it is one that we believe that your Son is the answer, He's the only worthy one, that John 14, 6, when He said, I am the way, the life, and the truth, no one comes to the Father except through me, that, Father, if we put our faith there, And Father, not only are we going to come with a life of adoration toward Christ, but Father, we're going to go out there in a loving, respectful way to our friends and our neighbors. And Father, we're going to engage them in conversation and show them the hope that we have within us. So Father, we sing this song to you as as we close today as an affirmation of these biblical truths that we believe. And we sing them today to you, Father. Thank you. You are the giver of truth, the giver of life and the giver of eternity. We love you, Father. And we sing to you now as we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.